This is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's not just the good days that the Lord hath made, it's every day. This is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'm so glad you've joined me tonight for this broadcast. It is always my prayer that you will be blessed both by word and the music. So thank you again for being with us. Would you hear now please the reading of God's word? It comes from the Old Testament from Judges chapter 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the troops that were with him, rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod, and the camp of Midian was north of them, below the hill of Mor in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The troops with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Israel would only take the credit away from me, saying, My own hand has delivered me. Now therefore proclaim this in the hearing of the troops. Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home. Thus Gideon sifted them out. Twenty-two thousand returned, and ten thousand remained. Then the Lord said to Gideon, The troops are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them out for you there. When I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go with you. And when I say, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So he brought the troops down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, All those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps, you shall put to one side. All those who kneel down to drink, putting their hands to their mouths, you shall put to the other side. The number of those that lapped was three hundred, but all the rest of the troops knelt down to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred that lapped, 
I will deliver you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go to their homes. So he took the jaws of the troop from their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel back to their own tents, but retained the 300. The camp of Midian was below him in the valley. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me, please, for prayer? O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, which art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. John Gardner rightly says in his book, Self-Renewal, No society is likely to renew itself unless its dominant orientation is to the future. Beloved, I think that's also true for churches and individuals as well. The dominant orientation must be to the future. Now, this in no way minimizes the importance of the past. A wife suddenly had the urge to live in the past, and she said to her husband, You used to hold my hand, so he reached out and grabbed her hand. She said, You used to kiss me, so he leaned over and kissed her. She said, You used to bite me on the back of my neck. At this, he got out and started out of the room. She said, Where are you going? He said, To get my teeth. As I said, this in no way minimizes the importance of the past. But that opening statement is still true. No society, church, or individual is likely to be renewed unless this dominant orientation is to the future. Now, it's at this point that this little scripture lesson speaks to us best. Because of Israel's wickedness, God allowed the Midianites to prevail over and rule the Israelites for seven long years. Earnestly, the people cried out to God for a deliverer. So finally, God chose a young man under the direction of God, Gideon soon sent out word for Israelites to volunteer. 32,000 volunteers immediately responded and offered their services. But then God said a strange thing. He said, too many, Gideon, reduced the number of volunteers. And so in complete obedience, the reduction was done. Then God looked, and there were 10,000 volunteers left. He said, still, Gideon, too many, reduced the number of volunteers. And so in complete obedience, the reduction was done. And there were 300 volunteers left. Then God said a strange thing. He said, okay, Gideon, take the 300 and march against the Midianites. Now, admittedly, this is a strange story, a strange story indeed. But it has quite a message for us as we move through these uncertain times and days through which we are living. First of all, this little story says to us, place your confidence in God. Place your confidence in God. I could almost hear God saying to Gideon, wait a minute, Gideon, wait a minute. That army of yours, there's only one thing wrong with it. It's far too big. And I can imagine Gideon's initial astonishment. Too big? What do you mean too big? I was just thinking how great it'd be to have another battalion or two. But God had his reasons for wanting Gideon to reduce his army. And we find that reason right away in our scripture lesson. God said, reduce it, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, my own hand has delivered me. In other words, the Israelites' confidence was not to be in numbers or in equipment or in soldiers alone. Their confidence was to be in God. Their army had to be so small that unless God gave them the victory, they would surely know defeat. Not long ago, I was reading about a well-known minister in a meeting he had with his staff. As they were sitting around this rather long table, people began to ask this minister, what do you think about the political situation in this country today? The lack of confidence in government, terrorism, and crime, and all of these things. He said he thought a long time before he answered, but then he said, I'm very concerned about the things you're talking about, but I'm not remotely concerned enough about them to keep them on top of me. 
For he said, you see, these things are not my source. My source is God. These things are not stable and changed, but God doesn't change. God is permanent. God is in the now, he said. I love that. God is in the now. Over and over, God tells us in Scripture to place our confidence in him. If you look in the Old Testament, you'll find the story of a rancher by the name of Abraham. God said to Abraham, and Abraham was a man of great faith. He believed what God told him. And God said to Abraham, all right, pull up your stakes and move out to a place that I'll show you, and I'll make of you a great nation. Abraham trusted God. He went out, and God made him a great nation. If you read a little further in the Bible, you'll find another story about a fellow by the name of Moses. God said about the same thing to Moses. He said to Abraham, except he said, I don't want you to go by yourself. I want you to take a whole nation of slaves with you. We're told that Moses had an inner tussle for a while. He lacked self-confidence. But finally, when he came to place his confidence in God, he regained his confidence in himself, and he moved out, and he became a mighty deliverer for God and God's people. There's one other character in the New Testament I'd like to talk with you that points out this confidence in God. This man was in a terrible situation. Everything about his situation was bad. He knew he was getting ready to go to Rome, and he was going to stand trial, and he knew he would never come back alive. Second thing, he was told that he had to go on a voyage out in the ocean with these people. He plainly protested. He said, this is not the time to sail out into the ocean. They sailed anyway. The next thing, he found himself out in the middle of a storm. It was horrible. They had to throw the cargo overboard. Three days later, they threw the tackling of the ship overboard. Everything was bad. There was no sun by day, no moon by night, no stars by night, nothing. And everybody on board that ship was discouraged. Everybody but this one little character, a New Testament character, a man by the name of Paul who used to be Saul, but now he was converted to Jesus Christ. He said this, Be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God whose I am. One man had courage. Why? The secret of his courage was his faith, the fact that he knew that God was with him. How do you think Jesus Christ could make it out in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he prayed this prayer, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. How he could pray that? Because he knew God as his source. A minister said he was talking to a Christian businessman, and this businessman had all kind of problems with his business. One upset was quickly followed by another. So finally the minister said, How long has it been since you talked to somebody about God? The businessman said, Months. Who has time with all these problems? The minister said, just refocus and put your confidence in God and things will work out. The last thing the minister said about the Christian businessman was, it made all the difference for him. When he placed his trust in God, it made all the difference in him. Well, what about us? Where is our confidence in this precarious, difficult life in which we're living? What are we really depending on to get us through these perilous days? The scripture says, not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. So the first thing this little story tells us is place your confidence in God. And then secondly, this little story tells us, step out in courage. Step out in courage. The 32,000 volunteers were cut down by two tests. The first test, extremely simple, was the test of fear. Gideon said, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home. We're told that 22,000 people went home that day. 22,000 people went home because they were afraid. 22,000 cowards and quitters. One of the great temptations of life is the temptation to quit. 
Here are two teenage boys. They're discussing their grades in high school. One says, my grade's not too good, but I'm not going to worry about them because, you see, I'm going to transfer to another school next year. Reckon that'll help? I doubt it. Here's a young couple going to have a wonderful marriage. Nothing could ever go wrong. They're going to have something that's never appeared before in land or sea. It's going to be marvelous. Yet the statistics tell a sad story of how many of these confident beginnings end up in divorce courts. Hear me now. There comes a time in every marriage when there are a hundred reasons to quit over against one reason to persevere. I like to ask children, usually about age 10 or 11, what are you going to be when you grow up? And when you ask a child that, usually a great uh, expression of joy comes over their face as they talk about some kind of profession or vocation. I remember I asked my son once when he was 10, I said, what are you going to be when you grow up? And a big old smile came, and he said, I'm going to play professional soccer. And if that doesn't work, he said, I'm going to be a quarterback on a professional football team. And if that doesn't work, he said, I'm going to play professional basketball and dunk the ball. Well, he was about four feet at that time. I thought, boy, I'd like to see that. Then he said, if none of that works, I'm going to be an architect. Well, he's not any one of those things, and he's very happy. But ask a 10-year-old boy or girl, what are you going to be when you grow up? And you'll see this beautiful expression come on their faces. But I'll tell you, in my ministry, I've seen a number of people who started out on some brave and high road and then suddenly otherwise lost their way. Those of us who have any age on us wouldn't dare criticize people for quitting. There are many reasons why people quit, and usually they are good ones. But I want you to hear again Gideon's words. Whoever's fearful and trembling, let him return home. And we're told that 22,000 people went home that day, 22,000 cowards and quitters. Now over against this, we hear the words of the Apostle Paul. What did he say? Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What was Paul saying? Paul was saying, I didn't quit. And yet in that same chapter of 2 Timothy, of Paul's great faith chapter, we find these words, do your best to come to me soon, because Demas is in love with this present world and has deserted me. No question Demas had his reasons for quitting, but so had Paul for continuing. What was the difference? Paul knew God as his source. He knew God as his source. One of our Methodist bishops said he went to a new area to serve. And he said the future looked scary. He was not happy. He said there was smog everywhere. He said his heart was crying. His face was crying. There were tears. And he said a friend called him and said, how are things going? And the bishop said, like a fool, I told him every bad thing that was happening. And then this friend said, well, is there anything good going on there? Is there anything you might do for the Lord, anything at all? Finally, the bishop said, you make me feel a little better. I'll stay until noon. And then the bishop said, that was the last time I ever worried about my job because I learned a lesson. I'll stay until noon if I can. Dr. Paul Scherer said, all great living begins in some quiet estimate we have of ourselves that will not let us play the coward's role. You know, when we were observing the tragedy of Boston on television, there were so many people who were stepping forward in courage, they were running to help those people, not running away. You see, they were stepping forward in courage. And then thirdly, this little story tells us to seek always to be an asset, to seek always to be an asset. A little boy was out in the yard, and a man saw him and said, Is your mother at home? The little boy said, Yes, sir. So the man went over to the door, knocked on the door, rang the bell. Nobody came. He went back to the little boy and said, I thought you said your mother's home. The little boy said, She is home. We don't live here. Would you think that little boy is an asset? 
Not really. Well, how many do we have left? You remember, we have 10,000 left. God said to Gideon, still Gideon, that's too many. Reduce the number of volunteers. The scholars tell us why these other thousands of people were sent home. The reason they were sent home is because God saw they were not an asset to the cause. They were a liability to the cause. They had a dampening effect on the whole enterprise, so God sent them home. God couldn't use them. What is an asset? An asset is a person who believes. An asset is a person who loves, who affirms, who shares, who gives, who builds, who contributes. That's what an asset is. You ever heard the name Ted Williams? I'm sure you had. This great Boston slugger. He came to the end of the year in 1941. His batting average was a little over 400. You remember, he was the last player who batted over 400. He batted over 400. Well, he came to the end of the season, and he and his manager, Joe Cronin, had a decision to make. Williams' average was just over 400. He had a doubleheader to, to play. Cronin said, you can just sit out today, Ted. You don't have to play, and we'll protect your 400 average. It was a doubleheader. Williams said, no, if I can't do it on the field, I'm not going to do it in the dugout. He played both games of that doubleheader. He went six for eight, and he wound up batting 406. Would you say Ted Williams was an asset? I would say he's an asset. Why? Because he sacrificed his own personal goals for the good of the team. That was the reason he was an asset. When I say that we should be assets, I'm talking about that we should represent God in every aspect of our life, in our home life, our political life, our sports life, our relationships, our attitudes, in every possible way, seeking to bring the best we have to the highest we know. Besides, there are too many problems in the world already without us being a part of the problem. The Lord, he had a job for me, but I had so much to do. I said, Lord, you get somebody else or wait till I get through. I don't know how the Lord came out, but he seemed to get along. But I felt kind of sneaking like because I know that I'd done, God, I'd done God wrong. One day I needed the Lord myself, needed him right away. But I can hear him say it down in my accusing heart, child, you've got too much to do. You get somebody else to wait till I get through. Now when the Lord has a job for me, I never tries to shirk. I drop what I have on hand and does the Lord's good work. And my fast can run along or wait till I get through. Nobody else can do the work the Lord marks out for you and for you and for you and for me. You know, they say one picture is worth a thousand words. I want you to use your imagination. Here's Paul and Silas in jail. Do you see them? They're not just sitting there waiting until the crisis is over till they can get out and start preaching again. They start preaching right there in the jail cell. And the first thing you know, they get the Philippian jailer and his family converted. And then we say, okay, Paul and Silas, we don't want to hear from you anymore. So we put them way back in a prison somewhere where nobody will ever find them. All they do is reach for pen and parchment and they write the letters of the New Testament. What are we going to do with people like that? People who see open windows where nothing but closed doors. People who see opportunities where there are nothing but obstacles. I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to get out of the way and let them pass because they're on God's mission. You know, there was a newspaper reporter that went to a lot of churches and went to a lot of worship services. And one day somebody said to him, do you see any difference in those churches? This editor thought a minute and he said, yes, I do. And some of them I find love and some of them I don't. The churches where love is found, these are the assets for the kingdom of God. So let's review. Place your confidence in God. Step forward in courage. Seek always to be an asset. And remember, you really can make a difference. You really can make a difference. How many troops do we have left? 300 out of 32,000. 
But if we had read further in the Scripture, we would have known that those 300 plus God and Gideon were the majority, and they won the battle. You see, beloved, God's strategy for the world is not like ours. We depend on numbers. God depends on hearts. We count heads. God counts hearts. We talk about producing more disciples. God talks about producing better disciples. Do you know in the Los Angeles Coliseum, there was a great light production. And so the speaker came on and he said, some of you people don't think your job is very important. He said, but I want to tell you, you're wrong. And then he had every light in the Los Angeles Coliseum put out. It was total darkness. And he struck a single match. And everybody could see how important that one job was. And then he asked everybody who had matches or a lighter to light the, the matches and flip the, the lighter. And suddenly there was total illumination, a great gulf of, of surprise because people had not seen such kind of illumination. It took all of those lights to bring that total illumination. I saw that truth one year in the Orange Bowl. We went into the Orange Bowl and they told us as we went in, they gave me a green light, my wife a, a red light, and they did that with everybody. They said at halftime, we're cutting down all the lights. And then when we tell you, flip on your lights. So at the halftime, the whole stadium went black, but then he told us to flip on our lights and then the beautiful reds and the beautiful greens and the instant illumination and people gasped because it was so beautiful. What was it Jesus said? Let your light so shine before humankind that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Some of you, of course, have heard of, of um, the great pastor Robert Shuler. Well, Robert Shuler has a daughter. Her name is Carol. When she was 13 years of age, she was in a horrible traffic accident. She almost lost her life. She did lose her leg. Dr. Shuler said, I was watching Carol Shuler at home plate. She was standing there dressed in a uniform of a softball team. And she was at bat, and I said to her, how do you expect to play ball when you can't even run? And with those flashing black eyes of hers, she turned to me and she said, people who hit home runs don't have to run. There's something about that that's very gospel-like. Let your light so shine before humankind that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now let me conclude with this. When I moved to one of the churches I served years ago up in Clayton, Georgia, my father-in-law decided to come up on the weekend and go fishing in the Chattooga River. That's one of the wild rivers in the state of Georgia. They were supposed to be back at 9 o'clock. They were not. They were not back at 10 or 11, so finally we got worried, and we called all the law enforcement agencies in Raven County to come out and comb the banks and see if we could find my father-in-law and this friend who had gone with him. We finally found him about midnight. My father-in-law said he had walked he had walked practically about 15 miles in the direction of North Carolina in the pitch black dark. He said, it's so dark he just passed where his car had parked. But then he said something I've always remembered. He said, if only I'd had a little light. If only I'd had a little light. That's the challenge to the church from the world, even as I speak. If only I had a little light. Place your confidence in God. Step forward in courage. Seek always to be an asset and remember you really can make a difference. Let us pray. Lord, we're grateful for this time together. We're thankful for Gideon and the marvelous lesson we gained from this scripture. We're grateful, O oh God, that no matter how we are, what we are, or anything else, you can use us just as we are. We are grateful, O oh God, and we ask that you bless our efforts as we seek to glorify you in this in all things. 
It's in your name. Amen. Let me thank all of you for standing with us in your prayers and your gifts. And let me remind you again, if you want to see some of these programs, you can turn to HalBradyMinistries.com, press program, and you'll have an opportunity to view some of these other messages. God bless. Good night. Spirit.